Good morning. I want to switch things up just a little bit this morning. We've been doing a series of messages from the Gospel of Luke leading up to the birth of Jesus. What I want to do is kind of skip ahead just a little bit in a way, but I want you to know more of who Jesus is as we prepare next Sunday to look at the Luke chapter 2 account and the birth of Jesus. And so I put a title on this message today simply, Jesus Is. And we're going to take this from the Gospel of John today, who looks at Jesus a little bit different way and approaches him in a little bit different way because he goes back to eternity past. The Gospel of John, when John wrote the Gospel, that Gospel, he recorded seven miracles of Jesus, not counting the resurrection and ascension, okay? But seven other miracles. And then at the end of his book, in John chapter 20, and verses 30 and 31, John writes these words. He tells us why he wrote what he wrote. He says, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole reason John recorded the Gospel of John. So you would come to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so I want to take a look from one chapter, the first chapter of John, and just notice how he presents Jesus. Because, and i got to tell you, this is a 20-point sermon today. And since I only preach about 22 to 25 minutes, sometimes 30, these points are going to go really fast, okay? It's not going to be a long, long message. But there are, I see at least 20 different ways that he refers to Jesus just in the first chapter. And you could probably dig more out, okay? So here we go. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So first of all, Jesus is the Word. Words are used to communicate. And Jesus is God's way of communicating with us. The Greek word for word is logos. Jesus is the Logos of God. The word Logos meaning the thought, the purpose, the expression of the mind of God. Just like our thoughts and our purposes are made known when we communicate through words, so God's ageless purposes and thoughts are made known through Christ. Jesus is God's communication to us. He is the Word. But that verse also says, the Word was God. Jesus is God. You won't get a Jehovah's Witness to say amen to that, because they don't believe Jesus is equal with God. They believe Jesus is a lesser God, and that He's the first thing that God created. But no, Jesus is God. In Philippians 2, verse 6, 
the Apostle Paul, who in verse 5 there says, Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the very form of God, did not consider what? Equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Jesus is God. John 5 verse 18, the Jews were seeking to kill Jesus. Not only because he was healing on the Sabbath day, but because he called God his own father, making himself, John says, equal with God. And Jesus is God in the flesh. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. All the fullness of what? Your Bible may say, for all the fullness of deity or all the fullness of the Godhead to dwell in him. And indeed it did because Jesus is God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. Just like you look in a mirror, you're going to see the exact representation of whatever you look like at that moment. So when you look at Jesus... You're seeing the exact representation of God's nature. Because Jesus is God. Now go to verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Which tells us what? That Jesus is eternal. He's eternal. Again, a Jehovah's Witness will say, no, Jesus is the first created being. The first thing God created. No. Jesus is from eternity because he's God. He was in the beginning with God. So not only will Jesus continue forever and ever with no end, but just as the Father, Jesus never had a beginning. Never had a beginning. And our human minds can't comprehend eternity in that direction. But they can in this direction a little bit. To think of living and never having an end. But how can something never have a beginning? We can't comprehend that part. But Jesus is eternal. Now verse 3. All things came into being by him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus is the creator. If you read Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. God said, let the dry land appear. God said, all the things he said in Genesis chapter 1 that were created, that part of the deity that was the active agent in creation was Jesus. Who wasn't Jesus necessarily at that time. He was what? He was the Word. The Word, okay? But Jesus, the Word, was the active agent in creation. All things came into being by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, For by Him, Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. Jesus is creator. In verse 4, In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. Jesus is life. He is the giver of life. He's the giver of life physically because he's creator, right? Who's responsible for your existence? Not just your mom and dad, all right, but, but God, but, but Jesus, all right? So he's the giver of physical life, but he's also the giver of spiritual life, the eternal life that we long for, the life that never ends, a life in his presence and a life like his. Jesus is life, and apart from him, we're dead. Until we accept God, until we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, Paul would say in the book of Ephesians that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. But in Jesus, we have life because he is life. Then verse 5 says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus is light. He's light. In John 8 and verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is light. Folks, we're living in a world that's got a lot of darkness in it. A lot of darkness. Our world, our, our country, our culture, there is so much darkness in our world today. Why? Because people do not comprehend the true light. Jesus. They don't understand it. Or they don't want to. They totally reject it. But Jesus is light. And in a world of darkness, we need the light of Christ. And when people look at us, just as we talked about last week when we kind of shine our little pin light, when people look at us, they ought to be able to see the light of Christ that's reflected from our lives. We don't have our own light, but we can reflect His. Jesus is light. In verse 9, it says, There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus is true. The true light. But he's true. Later on in the 14th chapter of John, Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, he's true for sure, meaning he's real. He's genuine. He's not a fake. There is no falsehood in him. There's no wrong in him, no sin, no error, no deceit. He's the real, genuine, true one. He's true. He's the true light. If you try to follow anyone else that you think is a light, you'll be led into darkness. Jesus is the true word. If you follow anyone else's word except his, It'll lead you to condemnation. He's the true God. You try to worship anything else except the true God, and you'll be eternally condemned. He's the true creator. Jesus is true. Then verse 11. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Jesus is unreceived. He's unreceived. And you know, for those of us that have accepted him and that are Christians, sometimes it's hard for us to understand why so many people refuse to accept the truth, refuse to accept 
the fact that there is a God, refuse to, effect, to, to accept the fact that God loves them and sent his son to die to save them from their sins. They just reject the whole message. Why is that? And I think maybe the, the overriding reason is because most people today don't want to be held accountable to anyone. Certainly they don't want to be held accountable to a God who can control their eternal destiny. They don't want to have anyone be their Lord. They want to be their own Lord and call the shots in their life themselves rather than to have to do what Jesus would tell them to do. Maybe that's the biggest reason. They don't want to give up the lordship of their life and that, that's why the majority of people do not receive Jesus. You do understand there will be more people lost than saved, right? That's sad, but Jesus teaches us that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. He says, broad is the way that leads to destruction and many are those who find it, but straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to life and few are those who find it. That's a scary truth. In verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Jesus is the giver of rights. Nobody else can give you rights except Jesus. You say, well, our Constitution gives us rights, and our government is supposed to make sure that we have those rights. That's true, but who... Who authorized and instituted government? Read the 13th chapter of Romans. There is no government, there is no authority that exists except from God. That's what Romans 13 teaches us. So Jesus is the giver of rights. Now, he gives us the right to become children of God if we accept him as Lord and Savior. He gives us the right to have an abundant life on earth. He gives us the right to live eternally in his presence. Nobody else can give you those rights except him. And how did he give them to us? By sacrificing his own rights. By giving up his own rights. Jesus had the right. He said, I have the authority to lay my life down. I also have the authority to take it up again. In fact, Jesus had the right to not lay his life down. But he did. He submitted to the will of his Father. And he sacrificed his own rights in order to give us the right to become the children of God. Jesus is the giver of rights. In verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what we're celebrating at this time of the year, folks. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that flesh took the form of a baby born to a virgin named Mary and her betrothed one, Joseph. And when he was born in Bethlehem, they laid him in a feeding trough, a manger. The Word became 
flesh. That's why he was called, whoa, Emmanuel, which translated means God with us because he became flesh, right? So Jesus is God in the flesh. Remember in John the 14th chapter, right after Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. What did Philip say? Jesus, show us the Father and it'll be sufficient for us. That'll be enough for us. And Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't realize yet if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's exactly what he says. And he was absolutely right. He is God in the flesh. Also in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the only begotten from the Father. The only begotten. And it's an interesting Greek word there that is translated only begotten. It's the word monogene. But it means Jesus is the unique, one of a kind, special one from the Father. There has never been anyone like Jesus before, and there will never be anyone like Jesus after, because Jesus is. He is. He lives. He's going to return, and He is the only one that is God in the flesh. He is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, that's Jesus, who's in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Folks, Jesus is the explanation of God. The explanation of God. If you, if you have a question, well, what is Jesus like? Or, or what is God like? What do you do? You look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the visible, seeable explanation of who God is. He is the explanation of God. And that's why he said to Philip in John the 14th chapter, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the explanation of God. So if you want to know what God is like, study the Gospels and look at Jesus. And you'll find out. Now we skip down to verse 29. We're talking here about John the Baptist. And the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then again, John says, down in verse 36, he looked upon Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So Jesus is the Lamb of God. And indeed he does take away the sin of the world. Now you know that lambs were a part of the sacrificial offerings that took place and that when people would come to the Passover, they would choose a lamb uh, to, to offer as a sacrifice to God. Those lambs were to be a year old, they were to be male lambs, they were to uh, have no spot or defect, they were to be perfect because God wanted a perfect sacrifice. And the blood that they would shed from that lamb would be used to atone for or cover up their sins. Well, Jesus is the perfect lamb. 
They did that until that perfect lamb would come that would die for the sins of the whole world and make a once for all sacrifice. Jesus is that lamb. In fact, Revelation 13, 8 refers to him as the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. From the very beginning, before God ever created the heavens and the earth, he knew that he would send his son to die. I know I've shared before, Max Lucado in one of his books wrote, before Adam and Eve ever ate the forbidden fruit, Jesus already had his bags packed to go to Bethlehem. I, I, I like that thought. He's the perfect Lamb of God who died to save you. Well, two of the disciples from John heard John say that, so they followed Jesus. And in verse 38, Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus is the master teacher, the master rabbi. And the words that he spoke are the most important words ever spoken. Over in John, the seventh chapter, the chief priests and the Pharisees and Sadducees, all those religious leaders are, are trying to get rid of Jesus. And so finally they send officers to arrest him. But the officers come back empty-handed. And in verse 46 of that chapter, the chief priests and scribes, Pharisees, said, well, why didn't you bring him? And what was their response? Never did a man speak like this man speaks. Wow. He's the master teacher. Philip Young used to uh, talk about if a machine could be invented that could recapture all of the sound waves that have ever gone forth upon the face of this earth, and it could be tuned to any one individual so that you could hear any word they ever spoke in their life, whose words would you want to hear most? Wouldn't it be Jesus? I mean, I read his words in the New Testament, and I wonder oftentimes, what tone of voice did he use to say that? Was it harsh, demanding, a commanding voice when he said certain words? Or was it kind and, and soft and full of compassion? There are times where I think Jesus was very dominant in what he said. And when he spoke, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I just wonder what tone of voice did he use. But he's the master teacher and we had better obey his teachings the words he spoke are the most important words ever spoken. In verse 41, Andrew goes and finds his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. Oh yes, Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. The word Christ and Messiah are identical words in two different languages. They both mean the exact same thing. They mean the anointed one, the chosen one, the, the waited for one. Jesus is the anointed one. The one God anointed, the one God chose to be the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. No one else is. There were 
a lot of men who walked this earth when Jesus walked this earth that had the name Jesus. Jesus was a very common name. There are other men in the New Testament who have the name Jesus. But only one was Christ. And whenever someone comes to me wanting to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, one of the things that I always talk to them about is the fact that the confession they make, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. All right? Christ Jesus. And so he is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one. And Simon Peter would make that good confession in Matthew chapter 16. In verse 43, the next day he purposed to go forth into Galilee and he found Philip and Jesus said to him, follow me. Jesus is the only one worth following. Only one. No one else can save you like Jesus. No one else can lead you into the truth like Jesus. No one else can take you to his father's house except Jesus. No one else can teach and speak words like Jesus. There's no one else worth following. He's the only one. If you follow anyone or anything else, you will be condemned. He's the only one worth following. In verse 48, after uh, Philip finds Nathanael and brings him to Jesus, and Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. <laughs> oh, Jesus knows everything, doesn't he? He's a wonder-working God. He's a wonder-worker he, and in that wonder-working ability, he displays the attributes of God in that he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing. Wouldn't you love to have that ability? But wouldn't it be scary if we all did? Because we wouldn't know how to handle it. Wow. But Jesus is a wonder-worker. He's a miracle-worker. And again, John only records seven of them in his gospel. And then at the end, as we read at the very beginning of this message, he did many other things that aren't recorded in this book, but I recorded these so you might believe he's the Christ, the Son of God. He's the wonder worker, the miracle worker. And you can just read through the Gospels and see that time after time. In verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. Boy, he's absolutely right. He is the Son of God. He's not a myth. He's not an imposter. He's not a lunatic or a fanatic or just a good man. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. Years ago, when Josh McDowell wrote the book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, in that he has that chapter, is he Lord, liar, or lunatic? He's one of the three. You can't say that Jesus was just a good man. You can never say that. As many people say, oh, he, he was just a good man. No, he wasn't just a good man. 
Because if he was not the son of God who he claimed to be, then he was a liar, and no liar is just a good man. Or if he deceived himself into believing he really was God's son and was just a lunatic, no lunatic is just a good man. He's either who he said he was, or he's not a good man. And we believe he's Lord. He is the Son of God. Nathaniel was absolutely right. He says, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And he's right on that account too. Because Jesus' fleshly lineage was that he was a descendant of who? David. King David. And had every right to the throne of Israel. Physical Israel. But Jesus is also the king of spiritual Israel. And that's you and I. Because we are the true spiritual Israel of God. The true children of Abraham. Those who believe as Paul teaches in Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 7. In verse 51, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man, born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, the one that the shepherds came to see, the one the wise men came to honor. He is the Son of Man. Jesus' favorite title for himself, the one he used most often, the Son of Man, which tells us that he can identify with us in all things, all things. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us in time of need. Oh, Jesus can understand everything we go through because he's been through it himself. He understands every temptation we face because he faced it himself. Yet he didn't sin, and we have. That's why he can be our sinless, perfect sacrifice as the Son of Man. I don't know who first said it, but I love the way they put it. The Son of God became the Son of Man so the sons of men could become the sons of God. In other words, he became like us so we could become like him, the Son of Man. 20 points, and I did it in about 20-some minutes. Don't ask me to do that again, all right? But again, why does John write these things? So that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So next week, when we go to Luke chapter 2, and we look at the account of how Jesus is born in Bethlehem, I just wanted you to know this ahead of time so that you can remember this one who's being born 
is all of these things that we talked about today. Do you know him? Do you know him? I pray that you do. And if you don't, take the next step that you need to take in order to know him and in order to be saved from your sin so that he can give you the right to become a child of God and to live eternally. If you're ready to do that today, we are certainly ready. We have warm water in our baptistry. We have clothing you can wear. We have towels to dry off with. Everything is prepared here in this building for you to make that decision to accept Christ as Lord and Savior and have your sins washed away in the waters of Christian baptism and rise to walk in a brand new life. You can do that today. But if you need more information, if you need to be discipled more and study more, then let us know that so that that can take place as well. Let's stand.